0: Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Encore. It's great to be back after a short summer break. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the award-winning mass setting Misa Luna, composed by Peter Kolar. Inspired by the harmonies and counterpoint of classical Baroque music, but using modern musical language appropriate for a multicultural liturgy, Misa Luna is imaginatively and versatilely built. Its melodies are easy to learn for an English-speaking, Spanish-speaking, or bilingual community, and its chord circle is simple for guitarists. Whether accompanied by organ and trumpet or by guitar and percussion, this beautiful music will elevate the dignity of your celebrations. For more information, search Misa Luna at www.giamusic.com. And with that, I'm excited to welcome on today's guest, renowned composer and editor for Spanish and bilingual resources at GIA Publications, Peter Collar. PK, thank you for coming on the show today. Very excited to have you. How are things down in El Paso?
1: Oh, it's going great. Tony, thanks for having me and a special welcome and, and thanks for tuning in to all our listeners on, on this podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah. All is well, you know?
0: <laughs> excellent. Excellent. We're very, very happy to have you. So uh, first question, I guess we'll just do a little uh, simple background question, I guess, just tell our listeners maybe a little bit about your roots and your upbringing.
1: Sure. Well, um, I, I, uh, as Tony mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm uh, editor GIA for uh, Spanish and Bilingual Publications. Uh, prior to coming to GIA, uh, I was with WLP for many years, over two decades, actually. So it's, it's great to be on the GIA staff and uh, working alongside many of my uh, uh, former co-workers at WLP. You know, it's, a, it's a great family, and we form a great team there. A little bit about my background uh, I came to El Paso uh, via Chicago and uh, lived and worked in Chicago for many years, about 15 years, actually. Prior to that, uh, I'm going in reverse order here. Prior to that, I did uh, high school in Wisconsin, uh, but I'm originally from Detroit. So I'm a Detroit native and have Michigan roots, uh, but that's kind, of, that's kind of the path that's led me uh, to where I am geographically. Uh, meanwhile, in, in the publishing realm uh, and, and music kind of coinciding with all this as well, I, uh, I, while I was in Chicago, uh, right out of college, um, out of Northwestern, I graduated uh, and soon thereafter uh, landed a job with World Library Publications, J.S. Pollock. And uh, from there, you know, I, I lived and worked at a parish in the inner city uh, of Chicago and on the south side uh, back of the Yards, Holy Cross. Yeah, right. you know Chicago well. So forty seventh and forty seventh and Ashland, mm-hmm. not, not too far from the Sox. And uh, spent many years uh, living and working right in that community, uh, primarily a Spanish uh, speaking community, Mexican immigrants. Uh, it's kind of behind the stockyards. That's why it's called Back of the Yards. And uh, that really got my feet wet in ministry and uh, language, kind of um, culturally immersed. In, in in all things, uh, faith and uh, and and music and culture and food, you know, all yeah, those things came right. into play. So was, that was that marked my my time in Chicago. I still have lasting friendships from from that from that time there. Meanwhile, coinciding with my ministerial work at the parish, uh, I was also working at WOP full time, you know, in the editorial department. And so those were kind of two concurrent lanes in my, you know, professional life. Uh, and at that time, then I I also met my uh, then future wife, who lived and in, in, in El Paso, and thought that uh, upon getting married, she would come and live with me in Chicago. But uh, as you know well, the, the the strong dynamic and pull of the of the Mexican family and yes, and of course uh, uh, I ended up moving to. El Paso uh, and it was a great 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 decision the greatest decision uh, so I live uh, here and work out of my home in, in uh, El Paso uh, continue to work for, for GIA married with uh, my wife Mariana and we have uh, two daughters one entering middle school and uh, another going into fifth grade and school's about to start for the next week so yeah oh wow was, that's early wow. pretty busy and exciting around here yeah
0: for sure so how how long have you been in El Paso? Uh
1: it's going to be uh going on 16 years.
0: Oh wow. Okay. So it's been a while. Okay. It sure has. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> went, yeah. A lot, yeah. went a
1: lot quicker than anyone would have, you know, expected certainly I expected, but uh, it's been it's been great and it's a, a really great place to um, to live and work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I knew you about your Chicago roots and everything and I knew you were originally from Detroit. I did not know that you went to high school in Wisconsin, so that's interesting. Yes, uh, it was
1: um, the the high school is uh, Saint Lawrence Seminary. It's right outside Fond du Lac, kind of north of Milwaukee, about an hour north of Milwaukee. Okay, and uh, it's 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 no longer a seminary. It hasn't uh, you know an official seminary. It hasn't been for decades, uh, but it still carries the name. So it's basically a you know a preparatory high school for boys, and it's run by Capuchin Franciscans and uh, the. The Capuchin Franciscans are um, based in Detroit. So their their orders or their orders run out of Detroit. So at that time they recruited heavily in Michigan. And so um gotcha. and of course Chicago area and Wisconsin, that's kind of the bread and butter from their the, their recruits. But um I, I took the plunge and I said, I'm leaving, you know, basically leaving home for high school and went out to this boarding school as a ninth grader. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it was an amazing experience to this day. It still is one of the, one of the most formative, uh, uh years of, of my life, both in terms of, um, you know, faith and, uh, and just, um, setting me on a professional trajectory. Uh, it was really great. And a right. lot of my friends were, uh, from Chicago, including, uh, including this is going to go into a little, uh, tangential story here, but including, um, uh, one of the very first marimba players from Holy Cross Parish in the back of the yard, Chicago. And it was at kind of my friend's uh, invitation uh, post high school uh, while I was uh, then entering into Northwestern as a student that I come down into the city and visit this parish uh, and at the, uh, at the pastor's invitation, uh, continued to work and teach music there to the kids uh, and, uh, and also play organ for the choirs, etc., but it was, it was that, that uh, high school classmates uh, connection that led me to what ended up being, you know, many years living and working in the back of the arts in Chicago.
0: Wow. Wow. Very cool. See, I'm glad I asked that follow-up question because that, yeah. that that's, that's awesome. Very interesting. So I'm going to go back a little bit. So when, did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in music? You know, what, did you come from a musical family when you were young or did you have just any kind of, you know, early musical influences that really left a, you know, a lasting impression on you?
1: Sure. Great question. Um, music is just, it's been a part of my life since literally my earliest memories. So as a, as a child. So my, my father um, is uh, of Polish um, heritage. And living in the Detroit area, you know, at that time growing up in the mid 70s or so, uh, polka festivals were very popular. Uh, and he was very much a, you know, a polka addict. And he was a self-taught accordionist. And so uh, myself and my other siblings, five of us all together, and my father, uh, we formed a polka band as a family. So We were a family band that performed uh, around the Detroit area. We played in major Polish festivals, um, downtown Detroit, Hamtramck, which is a very big Polish uh, population. And so, you know, music was kind of part of my upbringing as a child. By second grade, I was taking piano lessons. I would go before school with, uh, with a nun. Uh, Sister Cordula was her name. She was an Adrian Dominican nun. Uh, sorry, uh, Racine Dominican nun. Uh, but they staffed my parish outside of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my older brothers and sisters were all students of hers as well. So I came right up the ranks. And, you know, by second grade, I was, I was taking piano lessons, uh, probably weekly, I don't really remember, but before mm-hmm. school. I continued on with her all the way through high school when I left. But uh, along with that, uh, even as a, um, an elementary school And into middle school, I was playing piano in the church. So I played for my own first communion mass, the piano, as a second grader. Wow. (laughs) I I remembered one of the tunes I played was Jan Vermoest's Psalm 150, you know, Praise God in uh, in the Highest Heavens, Alleluia, the the name of that tune. Uh, I I remember that well. As a middle schooler, I was playing alongside my brothers and sisters in, um, you know, kind of a folk group at another local parish. Uh, and then when I went to uh, St. Lawrence in Wisconsin, I, ha- I had to stop taking piano lessons and there was no piano teacher per se on staff or on site in, in, in the area. But I continued, I guess what would end up being my musical formation by accompanying the choir. And okay. for four years as a student, I was the choir accompanist uh, and we had a wonderful, wonderful choir under, under the uh, directorship of uh, the rector. His name is uh, Monsignor Joe Deermeyer, and we have a piece published by him, actually in a C.I.A. catalog. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, so, uh, you know, that was formative enough for me to ca- to continue on with music, and uh, I guess uh, skill building enough for me to uh, audition and get into the piano performance program at Northwestern which is a pretty decent feat, you know, because you're alongside some very, very top skilled, uh, you know, students coming in from all over the world, really. Absolutely. And so that was, that was kind of my musical upbringing. It was, it was concurrent, you know, with folk music, the polkas and, and and also liturgical music and and, uh, by, by de facto, you know, experience being in the church, you know, that kind of musical formation that I didn't even know I was getting, but that was part of my uh, musical and, and uh, liturgical formation all along.
0: And I knew you're a very, I guess we could say, diversely trained musician, you know, about, you know, a lot of different instruments. I remember we got to talking uh, at MPM after you playing the accordion in the beer and hymns event. And you were telling me about, you know, your family, family band that you guys, you know, touring around at some of the major Polish festivals. And I I thought that was very cool. So I was excited to ask that question to hear a little bit more about that for sure. So that, that kind of brings us to uh, our next, next question here. So you've been in your position at GIA as editor in, for Spanish and bilingual resources for a couple of years now, several years now. How have you been enjoying working at GIA so far? And what are some of the projects you've worked on that you are particularly proud of?
1: Sure. Well, l- let me start by saying I love it here. It's such a great team. Uh, you know that well. We love myself, to have you here. Included, just, there's a great collegiality, and uh, family spirit that um, kind of permeates all that we do. And, and all of us are involved in like some really intense stuff. You know, publishing is not, it's not for the faint hearted, you yeah. know, it's, it's a never ending schedule and a, a, a grueling grind uh, when it comes to the products we have to produce. And, uh, and somehow we all manage to keep our sanity in it all you
0: know? <laughs> sometimes.
1: And, yeah. <laughs> not all the time, but Most of the time. Uh, but it's, it has to do with you know the great support uh, that we give each other and can rely on from each other. You know, it, it really is good. I'll talk a little bit about projects, but before I do, I want to just connect some dots for our listeners. They may be mm-hmm. wondering about you know, how does how does this guy you know who's, who grew up playing polkas become the Spanish editor? And <laughs> uh, and so what's what may, may not be known or, or apparent right off the bat is that my my mother is a native of Central America. Uh, she's a native of El Salvador, and, and so I, I, I owe that kind of, you know, that lineage and, and part of my heritage also to my great interest in, in, in all things Latin American and, and kind of the, 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 the beauty of the Latin American culture, uh, which also was a great part of my upbringing. So alongside polkas, you know, we were listening to, we were listening to Spanish language records and uh, Los Panchos and kind of all the classics from the golden era in Spanish. And even though i didn't grow up speaking spanish necessarily because you know at at that time uh, for whatever reason my my parents um wanted to ensure you know even my mom uh spoke mostly english even though that she didn't know english when she came to this country but as as children we were we were not taught spanish uh and my parents used it primarily as a way to speak without having the kids understand what they were saying Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> kind of that, that curiosity and motivation that always was there in the back of my mind. I want to know what they're saying, but I grew up around Spanish enough that I was familiar with the language and knew some vocabulary and stuff. You know, I, I didn't have you know a, a great speaking ability, but enough to you know to, to get you know a you know a real uh, small basic grasp of things. And then when I went to high school and even in college, I took more official grammar and, and yeah. courses in Spanish. And then it was my time in Chicago, actually working with primarily Spanish only speaking community and Spanish choirs that I really um, kind of dove into the deep end as it were uh, culturally and linguistically. And so I was really in a, in a situation where you, where you had to communicate in Spanish, right? and and so by then I became more proficient with, with speaking. But alongside of that, getting to know the, the Spanish language repertoire and in my years uh, at W.P., you know, working with, working alongside, getting to know uh, some uh, some of the more uh, prominent modern-day composers of Spanish language and, and bilingual music, uh, and so it was with their through their friendships, and mentorships, uh, and um, uh, collaborations uh, that I really became acquainted with with all the tools that would be necessary for me to take on a position such as what I have now with working. Right. In. In Spanish language publications. So, um, all that coming back to your your question, uh, since coming on board GIA has, I've worked on some some wonderful projects. I worked on um, a project called Caminemos con Jesús uh, with composer Tony Alonso. and uh, that um, that was really a tremendous project to start out my career yeah. at GIA uh, because it ended up being nominated for Latin Grammy. And uh, both, you know, both the recording and all the print side, which I spearheaded, uh, out through publication, uh, was really a tremendous journey and initiation into, you know, the wonderful things that can take place here. Uh, I, uh, I, I also worked on a, um, a revision of uh, the Celebremos hymnal, himnario, which is a product that I launched and spearheaded while I was at WOP, and since GIA acquired. Uh, WOP in that time, uh, it was time for that particular hymnal to be revised, and so I took that on also last year, so we, we did that. The Celebramos Missile continues to be one of the major resources for parishes in the United States uh, for bilingual communities, and that is a product that I launched as founding editor. That was done under my under my work and purview at, at Wp and it continues to be um, uh, a, a primary resource uh, for for communities, bilingual communities across the nation. Uh, so that has a new revision of uh, of its music companion, and then uh, I'm working now on a bilingual project for um, music for the trutrum So, and that's a, a very big project, and that that will continue to occupy me for for some time. Yeah, uh, it's exciting to be able to fill you know that great need uh, for for communities and, and music programs.
0: Awesome, and there you have it for our listeners a little sneak peek of what to watch for as well. So that's good and you, so you kind of touched on this a little bit but of course as you know you, you were employed with GIA, um, the World Library Publications acquisition ended up taking place. So that had to be kind of cool just you've formed relationships with these uh, you know the colleagues from WLP for such a long time and then basically to coming back to work with them again, that had to be kind of special knowing, knowing that was going to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, it, it was, um, you know, it's just, it's a obviously a, a, a journey and, and as a surprise. you know, how, how things work e- even in this industry, you know, nothing is, is for certain. And just, you know, the, the factors were such that WP uh, becoming part of GIA uh, was just you know, a, a good move on many levels, but what right. it meant for me personally, is that all this body of work that I had published at WLP, including works like Misa Luna would now be in the same publishing house where I'm working. And that's, that's great. It's just, you know, it's such, such a better situation than having yourself, your, your works, your compositions, you know, be elsewhere and not have, have, uh, to be able to have um, uh, some relation or control with them. So uh, that was certainly a wonderful thing on a personal level. and. And then to be able to work with so many of my, you know, my great colleagues who uh, I admire and, and really cherish as friends and have gotten to know over the years. Uh, like I said, I worked uh, 22 years at, at WOP, So it was, you can understand the kind of bonds that were formed, you know,
0: definitely personally yep.
1: and, and personally in, in that kind of environment. And, you know, we're, it's a close knit environment to begin with in the Catholic public. Yes. Realm. You know, even, even though we're all quote unquote, Uh, competitors right publishers (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know I I have great friends at OCP and you know while I was at GIA uh, WOP you know the the folks at GIA were always considered you know colleagues and friends and so many of uh, of them and and us work together you know at the parish and ministry level and so it's all about the the resources that we provide here as a publisher being put to good use you know, at, at the parish level and the people that we work with embody that and and, and do that in the trenches. So it's, it yeah. really, puts, it's a stamp of, of approval on all that we produce.
0: So you mentioned Misa Luna. Um, Misa Luna was recently chosen as the mass setting of the year by the Association of Catholic Publishers for 2021. Can you just talk a little bit about what this well-deserved honor means to you? And I guess um, a little bit of your inspiration for composing this mass setting.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, it's, well, first of all, it's 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 a great honor, and I'm just I'm I'm really humbled to to have had uh, you know a work of mine uh, receive such an honor, and uh, thank you to the Association of Catholic Publishers for you know, bestowing upon uh, Misa Luna that that recognition. The uh, what it, I th- I think the award is actually Distinguished Mass Setting of the Year or or, or something to that. Yes. Uh, which, which is really neat you know there are there are tons of mass settings i mean they're just you, you know this wealth just from a right. our own catalog there's really a lot of mass settings you know available to to uh, uh musicians and, and and music directors and so to have this one be singled out is uh, is really a wonderful thing I, I'm, I'm truly appreciative of it as as a composer um you know Misa Luna is one of my earliest pieces and uh, it's, you know, it's well over 20 years old, 20 some years old already. Uh, I started the original concepts of it back in 1996. Uh, a lot of it was born out of my, my work in, in Holy Cross Parish in Chicago. And I wrote the mass setting originally as a Spanish only setting. Uh, it was constructed mainly to... Um, uh, to work with the children's choir and the marimba group that I was working with. Uh, and um, I wrote acclamations, um, you know, that could be sung easily. And uh, just a little bit of, you know, why it's called Misa Luna, it's it's in, in uh, a homage to the composer from Spain, uh, Alfonso Luna Sanchez. So it's named in his honor, it's Misa Luna. It does not have anything to do with the moon, which is also called Luna in Spanish. <laughs> um, people have asked me, you know, why did you write a, a mass to, you know, celestial bodies? <laughs> <And> that, that's <laughs> not exactly what it is, but it is it, it is in honor of this composer. And, and the reason I named it for him is because um, this composer also has uh, a, a setting of a holy, holy, a Santo Santo uh, that uses a similar structure. It was the instant for it. The reason being is that um, he, constructed this uh, this particular acclamation based on what essentially is a circle of chords uh, in musical speak the, the more uh, the more complex terminology is a passacaglia the italian word basically for a pattern and and this particular pattern or passacaglia has its origins in george frederick handel in the baroque area from what baroque era from one of his keyboard suites mm-hmm. and it's a piece it's an actual piece that i played maybe as a 6th or 7th grader uh, I remember this piece with Sister Cordula, my first piano teacher. Yes, uh, and so it it came it kind of came back full circle for me. I was like, "What a wonderful idea to use this, um, basically a structure of chords, as the basis upon which then I can build uh, melodies for the assembly, and not only melodies for the assembly, but counter melodies for the choir, and 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 neat baroque inspired writing for the trumpets and the other instruments, but." But it boils down to really good and simple, intuitive melodies uh, for, for the assembly. And I think it's one of those masses that when you sing it, uh, even for the first time, it feels like you've sung it before because it's just, it, it, it flows very intuitively and it's all based on sequence, which if you're familiar with Baroque music, sequence is a major part of it. You know, do, you do something, a little pattern or a motive and then repeat it, you know, a step lower and then repeat again, a step lower and repeat it. And you get that kind of a staircase of, of musicality. And so, because of that, you know, when the, when the assembly and the choir sings, Hosanna um, in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna. It's like, <laughs> you know what's coming up. Yeah. You know exactly what's coming up. It's, 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 it's not breaking musical ground here. Uh, and, and that's part of what makes it so um, uh, attractive, and I think functional as an acclamation. And so, you know, that that theme coupled with uh, the, the chord pattern underneath it, and uh, the various melodies extrapolated for the remaining portions of the acclamations and the mass, and you know, forms a whole kind of uh, mini symphony uh, of uh, movements. Um, it's, I think, what makes the the mass pretty, um, you know, pretty likable. And You've you've seen that in how parishes have used it, and it gets used quite a bit at conferences. It's been sung at the at the gatherings for the USCCB, the bishops' conference, when they gather, and they they often do Misa Luna as their setting. And I think that you know the greatest honor for me was when it was sung for the Pope, and in the, the papal mass in Philadelphia in 2015, uh, it was uh, the the Lamb of God uh, movement from the Mass was sung uh, at the papal. Uh, liturgy with pope francis presiding and 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 wondrously uh, it was done in spanish for that so i think that's just what a great you know yeah. gesture for the american church to have this you know classical inspired piece you know by by a composer of mixed heritage polish and salvadoran uh, sung in spanish while the argentinian pope presided for the american bishops just you know what a wondrous scene and uh you know, encapsulated snapshot of, of the beauty of,
0: of the church of God, you know, No, certainly a well-deserved honor for sure. Uh, One thing I wanted to touch on um, in addition to your work at GIA and of course, you know, your composing work, you're also the director of the El Paso Diocesan Choir. Uh, Obviously this probably past year has been a little different for, for you guys and everything like that, but you just tell us a little bit about, you know, that position and joys that come, come with it. And then I guess also the second part of that, are you guys back to, you know, meeting a little bit and singing a little bit nowadays?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, So like many of my colleagues, you know, I keep my feet wet in ministry, although I don't do it on a week to week basis, like, uh, like many do. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, a parish gig or, or responsibility, as it were. Uh, I'm actually celebrating mass by sitting in the pews with my family, like like the, you know other worshipers and part of the part of the uh, uh, community. But uh, here in El Paso, it's a small diocese, so it's uh, you know it's, it's not even an official position with the diocese. It's uh, it's more of an ad hoc or a freelance. Role, but, but I do take on the role of, of directing the diocesan choir here for our Episcopal liturgies. And, and in doing so, get to use, you know, a, a lot of the great music, music that I've written, of course. I do a majority of the arranging for the forces. It's an all-volunteer group. Um, I don't audition folks, you know, so it's, it's, it's not, you know, recording quality per se. But it, it is the kind of thing where, where people get this opportunity to come together as fellow music makers and really enjoy each other's presence and company and, and shared, you know, desire to lift voices to God. And so they, the, the members come from all around the diocese, you know, from amongst the 52 parishes here in, in, in El Paso. And El Paso is not a huge town population wise, but it does cover quite a lot of geographic space too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it's, and it's unique because we're on the border with Ciudad Juarez and, and, and Mexico. So there's obviously just a lot of, you know, Influence of, of Latin American culture that is part and parcel of everyday life here on the border, uh, and so that ma- makes its way into our liturgies as well. Our our liturgies are always bilingual. All of our our, our primary liturgies are, are bilingual, so we get a chance to use um, newly composed bilingual music as well as you know staples from uh, both the English and and Spanish language repertoire. Uh, it's really been just a great way for me to stay connected with the music makers of the diocese as well as model uh and um de facto showcase music that they wouldn't otherwise necessarily choose on their own so you know whatever music program they happen to have in the pew is usually what they stick with and so when i when with the diocese choir when i pull out you know new repertoire or a, a, a new octavo or, or something um you know it's it's also we're singing it for mass but I'm also showing this to a lot of other musical leadership around the diocese who then in turn can can take that so, You know, that's why music that's why Misa Luna is popular here and my litany of the saints and and several other pieces you know by by our GIA and WP composers have made their way down here to El Paso via I don't, I don't take full credit for it but I but, but via some exposure that otherwise might not have happened so it's a wonderful thing, and we 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 performed for the um, the papal visitation to, to Ciudad Juarez. Uh, we did a, a concert. My my daughter actually sang one of the solos for that as oh, well. Cool. That was oh, That's very a very cool, wonderful yeah. moment. But it, it's it's a wonderful group of people, and I have some you know really outstanding instrumentalists who accompany you know symphonic players and professors from the symphony, all who just want to volunteer and give back to God, you know, some time and talent. And so I'm the beneficiary of that, as is the entire community here, you know, by having some really top-notch players. So I get to then arrange, uh, you know, various pieces and, and, and parts, and we do have some fun, you know. So we'll yeah. do we'll do some Mozart, and we'll do some we'll do some you know some pop or some salsa or some some other things like that too. So we really we really uh, run the spectrum. Um, we have not come back since the pandemic into into full singing yet. Um, El Paso actually is for the most part, like 70% vaccinated. We've, we've done very well as a community here. Excellent, yeah. Uh, but there is still some risk uh, that, that that I assessed. A lot of our membership is older as well. And uh, just in consideration of, of health and safety, I've not regathered the entire group yet. All the Parishes are back to the hundreds, 100%, um, but there's still some, you know, the parishes are not at capacity yet, uh, even though right. they can So there's still some hesitation and there's that, you know, that's another conversation, but we're easing into it. I've had some ordinations that I've had to take care of, but I've just done it with a very small core group. I haven't even used wind instruments yet. I've only used strings. Um, just, you know, taking small measures and maintaining and protecting our safety is still important as this whole thing unfolds for us.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Still, you know, a wild ride and obviously we're not at the finish line yet. So we still gotta, you know, be diligent, as you said, for sure. Definitely. All right, so we'll shift to a couple more uh, casual type of questions coming up here. So the first one I have is still about, uh, I guess, living in El Paso. So you said you've been in El Paso 16 years now. I'm curious as to a couple of the main differences, I guess, that really stand out of living in El Paso and then in Chicago. And then is there anything in Chicago that you really miss, maybe besides deep dish pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: and you are correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am a pizza aficionado. My blood cholesterol levels not so much, but my, my tummy does sure enjoy it. So great cre- question, Tony. Um, you know, I spent so much time in Chicago, but kind of an equal uh, number of years of my life now here in El Paso. Um, there's some, and also some differences. Uh, you know, my experience in Chicago was uh, quite urban, let's say. I was mm-hmm. right in the inner city. Uh, right, right in the midst of, I think, some neighborhoods that uh, a lot of people would be scared to go into, and yet that's just, that's where I lived and I conducted my daily life and my ministry in, in that community. I, I found just, you know, some 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 out, outstanding, wonderful aspects of that, and the irony is, is that it was in the midst of such great poverty. You know, the, the neighborhood I lived was uh, really overrun by gangs a lot of poverty, crime, drugs, were all very prevalent. Uh, yet in the midst of this was this community of faith that just was, you know, so steadfast in, in their belief and trust in God. And so even among hardships, I, I did, I did funerals for many, you know, kids who were shot kind of thing. Uh, you know, there were, there were some tough aspects to it. I'm, I'm not going to lie that, the, you know, it wasn't all, it wasn't rosy, you know, but, but I always cherish that uh, about my time in Chicago. The other thing that was uh, really prevalent is that um, the, the primarily Mexican and Mexican American community that was there, uh, a lot of that population came from uh, more inner states of Mexico. So, uh, Guadalajara, Michoacán, um, Zacatecas, Guanajuato, I think those were some of the primary uh, states where the immigrants to this particular neighborhood arrived and uh they just really preserved their traditions well so our celebration of our lady guadalupe was just phenomenal i mean it was it was something that remains ingrained in me forever you know just the the fact you know of a mananitas at 5 30 in the morning you know that is just in a 2000 seat church that is just overflowing it's just that that was incredible Mm -hmm. um you know, the way that celebrated posadas and and the other traditions, the Via Crucis and and the way of the cross through the streets of the neighborhood. We would go and take out the marimba and and do a pop-up, you know, performance on on the street blocks. You know, that was all very part of, of, uh, you know, the people's faith expression. It was beautiful. Um, I find a lot of that also in El Paso, but uh, some of the differences is that El Paso is a border community and you would think that, you know, there would be also the same level of carry on of traditions. And, and th- there is, I'm not getting, I'm not implying that there isn't, but it's interesting because it's on a physical border. It also, it's also kind of a cultural border. And right. so there's this, this kind of gray area between, you know, America and Mexico that exists right where I live. Uh, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, you have, you know, it's also a military town. So there's a lot of, you know, a military presence here and, and folks who get stationed at, at Fort Bliss, who then end up settling here in, in, in Mexico and getting a Mexican wife, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. You,
1: you, have, you have stories like that, that are, that are really abundant. And so, you know, even, even the way that the traditions are celebrated and expressed, it's, it's kind of this more intermingling. Uh, I would say Spanglish is a lot more prevalent uh, here on the border. Uh, both by, uh, you know, by English, primarily English speakers and Spanish speakers. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spanglish is just a part of the way of life here. And, um, you know, Spanish speakers from from Mexico, you know, and and the, the way families are intertwined across the border, it's almost as if the border is somewhat irrelevant here because families transcend that and lives transcend that. You know, there are so many Mexicans that cross over daily to work in in the United States, or go to school at UTEP, you know, and then there's, you know, there's folks who live in the United States who cross over and work in Juarez, there's a big auto um, supply factory kind of economy in, in Juarez with with the factories. So it's, it's, it's really um, intriguing. It's, 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 it's absolutely a, a, a fascinating case study. Uh, I would say that um, El Paso is just ridiculously hospitable. Yeah, I don't know. If I have heard that. But- the, the the kindest people uh, are, are just, you, you find everywhere. And there, and there's this, you know, there's this sense of, you know, we're family, even if I have no idea who you are, and we're walking down the street, you know, to each other. It's like, hola, mijo, como esta? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing, very, very, very friendly. So, you know, that that's that's a pretty amazing part of it. And, uh, you know, whereas Chicago you had to be a little bit tougher with your shell, you know. Yeah, especially right. Especially in the area where I lived, so that, that, that has been a big change here in El Paso. It's just open embrace and hugs galore. And, and, uh, you know, Chicago was a very different story in that sense. And, um, you know, food is great. I got to tell you, I do miss Chicago. You know, Chicago is a great world-class city. I'm an architecture buff. So I, you know, I love, I love everything about, you know, the downtown and, and the arts and the, and, and the, the symphony and, and the culture, the museums, all that, all that stuff. I do greatly miss, you know, riding the L part of what we did, but I I can name uh,
0: two things. You don't miss
1: (laughs) traffic and snow. Yes. Check,
0: check, check. You got that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't miss shoveling at all. Oh, and this was a
0: rough winter too. This past winter was,
1: take that commute was horrendous. You know, I don't miss it at all.
0: Definitely. Awesome. Well, cool. Very cool. So, the next next question I have for you, uh, I've done this a couple of times with a handful of guests. It's called the pick one segment. So, I'm going to give you a choice of two things. You need to pick your favorite of the two and give me a brief explanation as to why you pick that.
1: All right, let's roll. All right,
0: let's do it. Dogs or cats?
1: Definitely dogs. Although okay. I, have both.
0: <laughs> you have both. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, a, okay. I'm a
1: dog person, but yeah,
0: mm-hmm. me too. Football or baseball?
1: Oh, that's tough. I'm going to go baseball. Grew up with I – love, I love my football, especially college football. But I grew up as a Tigers fan, listening to Al Kaline and George Kell. Uh, and I, I lived through the 84 World Series for the Detroit Tigers. Been to that ballpark, that beautiful new Bar Park down there. So Yeah, I, right. I that is a nice park. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful park, and a, America. I, and, good, yeah. and, you know, you know, Southside, being a Southsider, I, I took in my share of Sox games. And uh, those polar sausages are, you know, like none other.
0: Uh, you got to be careful, though, letting your fellow Texans know that you didn't choose football, though. So that's it. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> Next one. iPhone or Android?
1: Definitely a Mac guy. So iPhone all the way.
0: Okay, awesome. Salsa or guacamole?
1: Uh, Guacamole. I love both, but there is nothing like fresh avocados. And, you know, my wife makes a particularly good, a good one. I'll yeah. always guacamole everything.
0: I think I know the answer to this one, but pizza or tacos.
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> you know the answer? Because I'm not, I was still... going to
0: say pizza. Um, Just because of your reaction to the, <laughs> my, no, my I, deep I love, dish comment. I love
1: me, I love me some Giordano's. I, I, yeah. I can't lie about that, but I got to tell you, I might, I might be converted. I'm, yeah. i might have been converted, you know, without me realizing there's some tacos here. There's a place called Taco Tote in, uh, in El Paso. That just has some carne asada with some, you know, some fresh cilantro and some guacamole salsa mm-hmm. on it. That is just, I'm, I'm never going to say no to that. Yeah.
0: So, you like I, El pastor oh, too.
1: El pastor is delicious as yeah. well. Carnitas, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And you know, I had some good taco joints in Chicago as well. Oh, for
0: so sure. uh, for
1: this good. is a pretty even equal for me, if that's acceptable.
0: I'm not gonna, not gonna argue with that there either. No, perfect. I, I actually, uh, the town I grew up in, Blue Island, Illinois, about 20, 25 minutes south of Chicago, uh, huge, um, Latino population. And so we had some really, really good authentic, you know, spots yeah. there too. They're so to make that, they know I, how to make that meat. Yeah. Man. The El Pastor, store and yeah, very good stuff. All right. Next one. Fun question for you. Piano or accordion?
1: Definitely Piano. I, I enjoy accordion. Definitely piano. You know, I, I, I know my way around it, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a great accordionist by any way, by any means, you know, I still have, I see those videos that come up on, uh, on, on YouTube or Facebook about like those accordions playing Vivaldi and like crazy like that. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty astounding. I, 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 I like and appreciate uh, accordion, but I'm a pianist at heart.
0: You know? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Hey, you were shredding on that accordion. at uh at, NPM <laughs> that year. I, I remember coming up to you after it and saying like, how you doing? How'd it go? And you were just ready to get out of there. It was a kind of a small bar. It was hot. <laughs> and, you, and you were like, this thing's a beast. I need to just <laughs> it get was this off of me. Yeah, for right sure. Down. That was a very hot week too. <laughs> uh, next question here. So what are some summer activities that you and the family have been up to the past couple of months?
1: Well, so uh, I'll, I'll preface this by saying our summer is always short because the school districts here are, are what's called year-round. So my, my kids go back to school next week. My wife's meetings as So, uh, you know, we have a short summer. But, um, and of course, you know, COVID suspended all kinds of opportunities for getting together. Uh, so we were able to take a trip to Michigan and I oh, was cool. able to visit my, my parents are both doing well, but it was, you know, it, it was over two years since uh, I saw them and, and my children. So we got some great uh, grandparent time with them. And my, uh, my mom actually raises monarch butterflies. And so uh, my daughters were, were, had a fascinating time watching yeah. the, the butterflies go through all their cycles from, from an egg to, you know, to an actual hatching of a butterfly that we got to release. So, so that wow. was pretty cool
0: yeah very cool
1: yeah uh and just you know just have enjoyed finally going out you know grabbing a beer you know yeah uh, getting some dinner you know going out with both my family and 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 also just my wife just uh, sharing some time outside the house has been has been wonderful so um nothing remarkable but it's been glorious in its mundaneness uh, i really enjoy it
0: yeah well, hey, this has been great. We'll uh, we'll wrap up on this question here, kind of a broad question, so apologies in advance, but uh, it's kind of the way I wrap up with most of the, most of the guests that come on the show. So, uh, what's next for Peter Kolar?
1: Oh well, next coming down coming down the pipeline off the presses at GIA is actually a brand new bilingual mass setting by yours truly.
0: Ah, okay. So,
1: mass of the Son of Justice, Misa Sol de Justicia. And uh, it's it's a it's a sophomore effort to to Misa Luna, (laughs) and uh, but I'm really quite proud of uh, this setting. We've been using it here locally for some time. It has a different character to it. Uh, I think folks will really uh, really be uh, take to this particular setting. It's uh, it has a different character. It's not as stoic. It's a little more effusive in its joy, but it also holds back a little bit. It's actually meant for the Advent season. uh, so it has a a little bit of longing to it. I'm I'm really pleased and excited uh, for for how the mass turned out and, and how it's going to look and and be presented in print. Uh, so great kudos to you know the editorial staff you know who worked alongside me getting getting it out. It was really quite of a, a heroic feast to get it along to get it out alongside everything else we were doing. But uh, I'm really excited about that. So that's next up for me, um, and then uh, I have you know, some, some great collaborations and, and projects in the works with, uh, some, you know, some prominent, uh, Spanish language and bilingual composers, um, mm-hmm. continue to pursue those, um, just really excited what's on the horizon for GIA Spanish and, and, and all that's, uh, all that's, uh, will be coming down the chute with, with our offerings. So, you know, everyone tuning in and listening, you know, look forward to, you know, some, some great things continue to coming out of, uh, uh, of this, um, you know, this, this great publishing house. And I'm really happy just to play a, a small part of part in it, uh, but particularly to serve, you know, our, our, uh, Spanish speaking and, and bilingual constituents to continue offering some great resources for them.
0: Excellent. Awesome. Well, Hey, thank you, man. This is, I uh, enjoyed talking with you too. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate you carving <laughs> the time <laughs> yeah, I, I out. Awesome. Had, had right? You have a good, uh, good rest of the week, buddy. All right.
1: All right, Tony. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Take care, my friend.
0: Okay, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Peter Kolar. For a limited time, we will offer 10% off of a couple of Peter's projects. Use the promo code ENCORE10 at checkout to receive 10% off of Peter's piano recording variations and also the award-winning mass setting Misa Luna. For the mass setting, the discount will be good for the recording and the keyboard slash vocal edition. Again, make sure to use the code ENCORE10 at checkout. That's E-N-C-O-R-E and the number 10. But hurry, this discount is only good through August 16th. I'm going to play a clip of track 9 on the Variations recording titled Tesoros Akotos, or Hidden Treasures. Thank you for tuning in to episode 10 of Encore. We'll be back on August 20th with a brand new episode. We will preview the Voices hymnal from GIA and WLP with editor and composer Ed Bolduck. As always, stay tuned to our social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for more information. Until next time, take care, everyone.